you've been with us, Acts chapter 9 has been this place where uh, this guy by the name of, this Pharisee by the name of the Apostle Paul, now the Apostle Paul, Saul at the time, uh, received Jesus and his life was dramatically changed. Now we're kind of, we're kind of going back, Luke's skipping on in the story now to, to come back and get a vantage point for what's going on with the Apostle Peter's life now. And so that's where we pick up with Peter. And to just kind of lay all my cards on the table, what happens with Peter this week is, uh, is he heals two people. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can read about healings in the Bible, miraculous things, and if I'm honest, I kind of just go, eh. Like, they're, sure, they're miraculous, but what does that mean for us here and today? And what, what does that mean uh, for New City Church and the things that, we're, that are addressing our lives today and all that kind of stuff? And here's, here's what I'm realizing about miracles, is that the greatest miracle of all is that Jesus is among us. That no matter where you came in at today, if you confess Jesus is Lord, He's promised to be with you. No matter what you have taken yourself through this week, no matter what, uh, what's been thrown on you this week, Jesus is with us. And that's the greatest miracle of all. So why do we need to hear this today? Why should we listen? Why should we hear this? Because you know what? We forget that Jesus is with us. Every single week, every single day, don't we forget that Jesus is with us? We forget that He's with us. And so today we're going to look at the evidences, the fact that Jesus is with us. Whenever I think about miracles, um, I, I'm drawn to think about <clears throat> movie trailers. Um, anybody been to a movie over the summer? A lot of good movies come out over the summer. A few of you, you've been to a movie. It's been good. Is it me or are the trailers before movies like getting longer and longer and longer? Is it me? No, it's just happening. They're just, they're just getting more and more movie trailers. I remember bringing one of my kids to a movie, and we made the mistake of getting there on time. And like 40, uh, I'm exaggerating, but it seemed like 45 minutes had passed before the movie started, and they're like already tired and fidgety, right? But here's what movie trailers do. Movie trailers, they use the highlight reel of the movie to draw you in to watch the everyday ordinary parts of the movie that connect the highlight reel, right? We're tempted to think about miracles kind of like the highlight reel. And that God isn't really interested in the everyday ordinary things of life. But I'm here to tell you today that that's not the case. That we have such an extraordinary Savior that He is, he, he is incredibly interested in the everyday ordinary things of your life. So don't, don't, use the, the, don't, don't follow the lure, the temptation to say, ah, you know, the miraculous things aren't really happening in my life, so this doesn't really apply to me today. Let's listen for the heart of God and look for Jesus in this today. So as we look at this, I want you to think about Peter. So, so Peter is, is healing people. This isn't, this isn't Jesus in the flesh. This is Peter in the flesh. So how is he doing these things? Let's skip back to Jesus' last days with Peter. I want to look at two quick passages. One is John 14, uh, 10 and 12 to give us some context of what's going on uh, here. So, so John 14... Uh, 10 and 12, 10 through 12 says, says this right here. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. This is Jesus. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. So this is Jesus' disciples. They're around this uh, in the upper room having the last supper together. Jesus is sharing these things. And he says this to his disciples Believe me that I am in the Father. Okay? And the Father is in me. Okay? Or else believe on accounts of the works themselves. And then Jesus goes on to say this about those works. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me 
will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will He do because I am going to the Father. I've always wondered what greater works are. I mean, how could we be more extravagant than Jesus? You know what I think Jesus is talking about here? Jesus is talking about the fact that the mission, he's, he's going to the Father. He's going to go sit at the right hand of the Father in heaven. And He's going to intercede for God's people. That's where He's at right now. And those greater works are the things that Jesus is going to do through His people as He's seated at the right hand of God. Now some of those things are going to be everyday ordinary evidences of grace. Some of those things might be miraculous things. So I think sometimes we're tempted to think that, okay, these miracles were done by apostles, so we really can't expect those kinds of things today. And, and while I would say that's not the norm, I would, I would also say let's not rule that out. That God can still operate in that way because God is a, a big word for that God doesn't change is He's immutable. He doesn't change. So he's still, He can still do that work through His people today. And so then Jesus goes on to tell about the promise of the Holy Spirit that's going to come. John 20, we see the flip side of Jesus' resurrection where He's meeting with His people. And let's listen to what He says to, to Peter and the rest of the apostles in John 20, 19-22. says this, On the evening of the day, the first week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And when He had said this, He showed them His hands and His side, then the disciples were glad when they saw it was the Lord. So they were like relieved. Okay, we're not going to get killed. It's Jesus. That's good news. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. And get this right here. As the Father has sent me, so the Father sent Jesus to the world to redeem God's people, even so I am sending you. And when they had said this, He breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. So, that's kind of the action of them receiving the Holy Spirit. And Jesus telling them, hey, look, as I have been sent into the world, you are being sent into the world. And so here we have Peter on the flip side of this, building the church with the apostles, planting the church, and we see this coming true. We see these things happening. So with that in mind, I want us to look at Acts 9 now. I just wanted to give us some context of the things that Peter had been through with the rest of the disciples so that we have some context of, of what's happening in Acts chapter 9. So, um, so let's look at Acts chapter 9, 32 through 43. I'm going to read through this. And then I want to give you, uh, quickly, I'm, I'm going to give you eight evidences of Jesus' presence with us. Now, if you're like one of those vigorous note takers, we're going to throw these up on our website. So don't, don't get so distracted by note taking that you can't sit under the Lord's word today. Uh, but Acts chapter 9, 32 uh, through 43. Let's go. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. That is, he couldn't walk. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. And immediately, he rose, and all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. 
Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she had saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. This is the word of the Lord. So, I want to encourage you as we, as we walk through this, to not look at this, these miracles, these healings, from an esoteric, detached view, but to look at them as a disciple of Jesus. Because that's the lens that we have through Peter. And I want to give you eight evidences of Jesus' continued presence with His people. First one's this. Jesus is present with and caring for His people. And what we realize about that is caring for one another requires life-on-life contact. So what do we see Peter in Acts chapter 9, verse 32? It says that Peter is going about kind of from place to place uh, among them all. He's going in and out here and there. And he comes down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. So, so most of the disciples are likely still locked up in Jerusalem, okay? Like by their own accord, maybe by fear, I'm not sure. But Peter has done the thing that God has called him to do, to care for the churches. And so he's outside of Jerusalem, and he's meeting with the churches that have been planted because the gospel has exploded and gone forth. And, and what we realize is that Peter comes up uh, to, to, to this town in Lydda, and, uh, and, he, and he, he's, he's caring for the people, he's encouraging the church, the things that he ought to be doing, and he notices this paralyzed man named Aeneas. Now he probably noticed some other people as well, but Aeneas is the one uh, that, we, that we hear about. So, so he's shepherding the flock. If you read in 1 Peter, he encourages uh, elders to shepherd the flock. He's doing what he was writing about. And, and Peter has this commitment to image Christ to the church and be among the people. So Peter's not just kind of staying up in Jerusalem, but he wants to live his life among the people. How can you shepherd if you're not with the sheep? Now this isn't just a charge to elders and leaders in the church. This is a charge to everyone because how can you be shepherded if you don't entrust yourself to the shepherd? So, so what I'm realizing about this is there is a propensity uh, in our culture uh, to, to try to, to do church without being church. To try to, to be a part of the church's kind of activity and go to worship gatherings and things like that, but not really live among the people. This is one of the things that we talk about in our membership class is that this, where, where, is, where is membership in the Bible? Well, it's assumed because Hebrews 13, 17 says that, that leaders are supposed to, that, that, that folks in the church are supposed to submit themselves to leadership. Well, how do we know who submitted themselves to leadership if folks haven't committed? So, so what we realize is this, even from Hebrews 10, uh, 24 and 25, well, I just want to give you another just kind of a proof text here of where I'm, where I'm going with this. The Scriptures say this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the day as you see the, the day drawing near. 
So we have a tendency to only share our lives with other people when they're presentable. Let me ask you this. Was Aeneas presentable to Peter? Was he able to clean himself up? He wasn't presentable. Church, what we, what we, what we see is that God calls us to share all of our life with His people. And that somehow, in some miraculous way, God's Spirit is there with us. And, and I really can't put a lot of words on it, but God meets with us in a special way when we get together, doesn't He? He does something special. There's something special about this gathering this morning because we're together seeking the same thing together. And I, and I just challenge you to show me a time in the history of the world where God's people have experienced His favor and His presence in a rich way without committing to, to rich life with one another. And you won't see it anywhere. So if you're struggling with kind of getting in the game with, with the church, I just want to encourage you to consider this today. What do you have to lose? Friends, you have everything to gain. And look, I know, um, I know that the sheep bite, that, that, we, that we hurt each other, that we, that we rub each other the wrong way, but we've got to believe that God's Spirit is big enough uh, to draw us together in unity. So we see that Peter is among the people and that there's this, there's this idea of this rich community together and that he notices this man named Aeneas. Let's keep going. Jesus, number two, Jesus dignifies the undignified in society. So we see that he cares deeply for the marginalized. And because of that, so should we. So who are the two people that he notices in this story? One is a guy named Aeneas, he's paralyzed, he can't walk, he's, he's probably a Christian, um, but that doesn't mean that he's like experiencing rich fellowship, right? I mean, he's, he's kind of off to the side, he's marginalized. Another one is, is this lady uh, named Tabitha or, or Dorcas, uh, and she, uh, she, first of all, she, she's a woman, and if we're honest, in this, in this culture at this time, uh, women didn't have much of a voice in the church. Now, Jesus, we see Jesus doing this over and over and over again, though, drawing out. I mean, women supported his ministry. We see Jesus drawing up the women and elevating them to image bearers, co heirs with Christ, as the scriptures say. And we see Peter doing the same thing. Now, Tabitha's not just an ordinary lady, though, she's caring for a very marginalized group of people, widows. So what happened in this culture with, with uh, women whose husbands had died? Did they, did they have all of the great benefits and opportunities that we have today? No. They were, they were very much pushed to the side. And we see Tabitha caring deeply, making garments. And so when they find out that Tabitha is dead, they are, they are mourning the loss because here was this woman that saw them that saw them as made in the image of God and shared deep life with them. And now they, they're grieving that loss. And Peter is seeing Aeneas. And, he's, and he says, look, this is important enough for me to follow these guys 10 miles down the road from Lydda to Joppa to go and share life with these guys and see what's going on. So Peter enters into this story. Have you noticed a theme with the majority of people that Jesus engages with in the Scriptures? The people that he engages with and they respond favorably. Do you know who those people are? They're the marginalized people in the culture. For the very most part, they're the marginalized people. Yet we have a tendency to overlook those types of people. 
Some of you, even in this room, uh, right now, today, um, are on the margins. You're, you're overlooked. You've, you've really fallen on some hard times. You don't really know how it all happened. And some people know about it, and some people don't know about it. And you really need to hear the fact that Jesus is with you this morning. You need to be reminded that those things are not going the way that you want them to be going, that he has not left or forsaken you because that was his promise to us. And we, as the church, need to gather around those folks when they're in those times and remind them that Jesus is not finished and he's with us. This is why we got to live as the bride, as the family of God together because he's not finished with any of us. And we see this glimpse that Jesus brings in because, because you notice the scriptures say that Peter says Jesus Christ heals you. He doesn't say Peter heals you in Jesus' name. He says Jesus Christ. Let me just cut straight to the chase. Jesus is the one that's healing you right now, Aeneas. Get up and walk. And what is he, even that phrase that he says to Aeneas, get up and walk. Now, you think that man hasn't maybe been mocked before? Hey, Aeneas, can you, can you go can you walk in and go get some water from the town, from, from the city? Think he hasn't maybe been mocked like that? Of course he couldn't walk, but for the, for the first time in eight years, this man could get up and make his bed. The, the very everyday, ordinary things that he longed to do, for the first time he could do those things, and it was Jesus that restored that dignity. It was Jesus that saw that, and he was working through Peter. Now, in our lives, we have opportunities every single day to, 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 uh, to elevate those who don't have a voice, to help bring dignity to the undignified in our culture. And we see Peter doing this in a beautiful way, and what we realize is that it's not Peter, it's Jesus in Peter. So what's it look like for Jesus to begin to restore the cosmos through the way that you see those that are around you? What would that look like in your life? Who are the people that maybe you just tend to overlook right now? Maybe the undignified, the less presentable. What would that look like to engage in that? We see number three, that Jesus shares His divinity, His divine identity with us today. So sainthood is this present day reality and not a future destination. We notice this in Acts 9.32 and Acts 9.41. How does Peter address the people that he's going to see? How does he, does he say, uh, does he just kind of address them as kind of everyday ordinary people? He calls them saints. Think about that. Saints. Really saints? I thought saints were, you know, had to be like canonized and all that kind of stuff. No. Saints were those, are those that are found in Jesus. So when you hear the word saint, you kind of, you kind of have this connotation that, man, they, they've kind of arrived, right? I mean, they, they've arrived. I mean, they've, they've kind of landed in the place. I mean, they are, they are completely in, in, a, in a great place in life. They're, they're saints. I mean, they, they don't really deal with sin like the rest of us. What he's doing is he's, he's painting a picture and, get, and showing them the present day value of the blood of Christ in our lives as his people. Did you know that today, if you're in Christ, you are a saint? It's not a future destination. It's a present day reality. Have you ever stopped to ask yourself the question, why is the book of Revelation in the Bible? Revelation 4 and 5 paint this picture of the throne room of heaven. Now, why would, why would God give 
the Apostle John this vision to write down so that we could read it and sit under it today. Because God wants to show us that in a lot of ways it is finished. Jesus' last cry on the cross was, it is finished. It's finished. We're saints. It's already a done deal. And because it is finished, we can work back from that reality now. Because you and I know, as Philippians 1.6 says, that we're not finished yet, that he's, he's completing the good work that He started in us. So in one sense, I want you to hear this. In one sense, you are complete. If you are in Christ, you are complete. You are a saint. There's... That's it. You're finished. But God is still working out your salvation. A lot of times we think about this, the, the, the uh, theological term of justification, and we think, okay, that's salvation. And then we think about sanctification, which is the ongoing process. And we think that that's not a part of salvation too. And what the Scriptures teach us is that it's very much a part of salvation. That we're still being completed. But the pressure is not to perform. It's to be loved by God and to obey Him. So look at your neighbor right now and say, you're a saint. I'm, I'm serious. Do it right now. That's good. Alright, that was kind of good. I mean, that was, I mean, was kind of like, like the kids whispering while I'm preaching, you know? So look, turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you're a saint. Alright, alright. That's good. That's good. And don't y'all get too chatty. We got, we got to keep going. Fourth, I've kind of already touched on this, but I want to touch it again. Jesus grieves loss with us. So grief and lament are a real part of the church's role in community. So what was Tabitha doing? She was caring for a, a very, very marginalized group of women. And when Peter, when he shows up on the scene uh, with, with Tabba, Tabitha and these ladies, uh, it's not like he's like, hey, y'all, y'all be quiet. Get out of here. You know what I'm going to do here. He's not, he's not saying that. What, he's, what he does is he kind of enters into the circumstance there. Enters into it with the confidence of Jesus. And uh, you, know what Pe- you know what Peter does here? He does something almost identical to what Jesus does in Mark chapter 5. In fact, we're going to flip there real quick. Mark 5. Just, I just want to show you the parallels of what Jesus does and then what Peter does uh, in Acts 9. So, um, Mark chapter 5. Look at verse, uh, verse 35 here. Mark 5.35. So, so, it's this uh, Jairus' daughter is going to get healed here. Okay, it's on the screen. Here we go. So, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house uh, someone who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? She's dead, so let's just forget about it. Uh, but overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him. This is key, except for who? Peter, James, and John. Kind of his inner three disciples. So Peter was here when this happened. He was, he was on the scene. Alright, let's keep going. So they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping, Loudly, and he, and he entered in and said to them, why are you making commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping. Now Jesus wasn't mocking them. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was being honest here. And then what are they, how do they respond to him? They say, they laughed at him. Let's keep going. But he put them all outside. He's like, oh, you guys want to laugh? Just go ahead and get out of the room. He put them all outside except for the child's mother and father and those who were with him and went in where the child was. So Peter, James, and John go in with him. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi. 
That's, that's key right there. What does that word Talitha look like? Does it look like Tabitha? This is key because what, what Peter says in Acts 9 is almost identical to what Jesus says in Mark 5 except for one letter. Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking for she was 12 years of age and they were immediately overcome with amazement. They strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat because she's probably hungry, right? So kind of getting back into Acts 9, Peter says, I, I got to think this is like a highlight reel playing in his mind when he comes up on the scene. I've seen Jesus do this before. I bet he wants to do the same thing here. And he says almost the same thing. So he says, Tabitha, arise. Tabitha, kumi. You know what Tabitha's name means? Beautiful. Beautiful, arise. Beautiful, arise. And he, he calls her up and she, she, she comes out of the slumber, comes out of the, the sleep and and, uh, and she's healed. She's, she's fully there with them. And so uh, it's this amazing story to me because we see him entering into the pain, into the midst with the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus was always moving toward the tears, wasn't he? The Bible is always moving toward the tears. He's never running away from them. But yet you and I, we shed a tear. We're like bolting, right? We're getting out of there. Somebody's crying. I've got to get out of here. This is getting ready to get messy. Jesus moves toward the tears. So what would it look like for us as a community? Maybe even as a family for the first time. Maybe your family, they, they, they weren't really criers, okay? They weren't, we didn't really deal with emotion. Maybe we suppressed it. What would it look like to move toward the tears? Because the tears are communicating something deep. They're communicating something deep. What would it look like for us to do that? Number five, Jesus gives us permission to expect His presence here and now. So get this, confidence in God's miraculous ability should be normative for us. So, so with Tabitha, they do something interesting with Tabitha, okay? So she's been dead for three days. Now in Jerusalem, if you were dead for one day, you had to be put in the ground. If you were outside of Jerusalem, it was kind of within three days. They've got her laying in an upper room, okay? And they're, they're weeping, they're crying. Why do you think they haven't buried her yet? Why do you think they haven't buried Why do you think they called the Peter with such urgency. Do you think that they maybe expected that God might be able to do this? I think they did. Because they would have buried her any other way. I think they were expecting that God could raise her from the dead. Now, I'm not saying this is normative for us today, but I think, guys, what if we actually put it back on the table that God can actually heal people? I mean, what was it? A month ago, we saw a guy that in our church that, that had... Uh, a tumor on his brain and God took it away. Four scans showed it was there. They were getting ready to go in and operate. Next day, Joker goes in. It's gone. God can do these types of things still in our lives. Now, the best gauge of maturity is not for us to say, okay, if God doesn't heal whenever I pray, then I must lack faith. That's not the best gauge of maturity. We don't see that really in the Scriptures as much, but God can do that if He pleases I'm reminded of the words of Ephesians chapter 3 when, when, uh, when Paul kind of utters a prayer that's very, very much up this alley here. He says, he, he says this uh, at the end of his prayer, now to, now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. Think about that. 
We serve a God that's able to do more than you can even think that he can do. So like your wildest, some of you got wild imaginations. I mean, you've got big visions of who God is and what he can do. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in the heavenly realms. No, according to the power at work within us. That's within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That's how he closes his prayer. To him who's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. That's who God is. I, don't, I think they actually believe that. I think they actually believe that God could do more than they ask or imagine. And they kind of put their money where their mouth was. They, they put Tabitha in the upper room. What is it in your life right now that you think that God cannot do? That you think, there's no way that God would want to do that. And so you kind of skirt around asking God to do that. And I will say this, if we, act, if we ask in confidence at what these kind of things that seem kind of outlandish, be prepared that God may answer them in a different way than you want Him to, okay? Be prepared that He may answer them in different ways because God is always seeking to give us what we need. And sometimes, just sometimes, that's actually what we want. So He answers this prayer. The will lines up there. It's the normative attitude of the church. Number six, Jesus does miracles to make Himself known and draw people to Himself. So when we read in Acts 9.34 and Acts 9.42, we see what was the result of these miracles? What happened in the community around them? What was Je- How was Jesus working through this sign, through this miracle, through this healing, through this resuscitation from the dead? What was He doing? He was drawing people to Himself. He was using those signs and those miracles to make His glory and His fame known to the world. That's what He was, that's what he was doing. Because if you think about it, Aeneas, uh, Aeneas still died one day, even though he was healed by Jesus through Peter. Dorcas, she went to the grave again. Tabitha went to the grave again. The purpose was to give a little glimpse of heaven in that moment. A little glimpse of what Jesus is about, about how He's restoring the cosmos to Himself in those moments, to draw people to Himself and to hear the cries of His people. I think, I think we may be even tempted to, to think about Aeneas and be like, oh, you know, Aeneas, you were paralyzed and we're really sorry about that. But you know what Aeneas grabbed that you and I, as, as far as I know in this room, couldn't grab? that that disability gave him a worldview of who God was that he could not have without it. <laughs> my God, my God healed me. I was paralyzed. I couldn't walk. That's the power that he has. And so what would it look like for us to, to look at the things that aren't going well through the suffering that we have, church, and to learn to see Jesus in light of being the healer and the restorer of all things instead of punishing us? Because I, 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 can, I can almost imagine that Aeneas wasn't complaining after he was healed that he was paralyzed before. You know what I mean? Like it was a part of his story. It was a part of the way that he was able to see God uniquely as a powerful redeemer, unlike he had ever been able to see before. Number seven, Jesus' life and works teach us more about heaven than someone whose life has been resuscitated. 
I, I was thinking through this, and I got to be honest. I was thinking, man, if like one of these book publishers was around when this happened, they would have been all over Tabitha trying to do a book deal after she raised from the dead. You know, hey, a trip to heaven and back, this heaven tourism kind of thing. Tell us what it's about, right? It would have kind of been like, they would have been all over that. But what we see is that, 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 that really, if we want to know about heaven, we need to go to Jesus. The book of Revelation teaches us, Revelation 21.5, that behold, Jesus says this, I'm making all things new. So heaven is a, is a, is a, restore, is a, restored, a, a, a restored cosmos. He's, he's making all things new. Jesus doesn't make things to waste them. He redeems things that he makes because sin has distorted them. And so we see... What we see in this is that, that really the, the miracle about it was that Jesus is with them and, he, and heaven was crashing into earth. I mean, you think about the Lord's Prayer. There's that petition in there that, that Jesus teaches His disciples to pray. And He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So He's praying for heaven to meet earth. Now, what do we see in Acts chapter 9? Is heaven meeting earth? Heaven is meeting earth because we're seeing lives restored that have been crippled by the power of sin. That have been taken through the power of sin. We see heaven meet earth. Heaven is the place where we sit in the full presence of Jesus and we actually live and flourish instead of perish and die. That's what, that's what heaven is, church. And heaven is about the unadulterated magnification of God's Son, Jesus. It's about lifting Jesus higher and higher. And so Jesus Christ heals you. Heaven is meeting earth. And honestly, the people that were in Joppa could probably care less about Tabitha's experience when she died because they were so caught up in who healed her, who brought her to life. Lastly, and this might be one of the most important ones. Jesus doesn't just use us to build His kingdom. He uses His kingdom to build us. There's this little concluding remark that you probably almost looked over in Acts 9.43. And it says this, And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. So Peter. Peter is a saint, right? But he's still being completed like we talked about earlier. Okay, Peter's got some stuff that God is about to deal with in Acts chapter 10. We're, we're going to see that next week. So a tanner. A tanner is someone that is perpetually unclean from a Jewish mindset. Why? Because they're always dealing with animal skin. So they can never get themselves clean enough to get into the temple because they're always their job is unclean. There's nothing they can do about it. God has... Peter staying with Simon a tanner. From, from a ceremonial standpoint, probably the most unclean man in town. Right? He has him staying with this man. Why do you think he has him staying with this man? I think it's because Peter has this propensity to really judge people that are different than him. And God is beginning to deal with that in Peter. Jesus is still pursuing and perfecting Peter. And he's got a lot of things that he still has to learn, yet God still used him 
to raise this paralyzed man and this lady from the dead. And that's what God does with all of us. I think a lot of times we think, for God to use me, I really got to be perfect. I really got to have it all together. What you really got to be is to trust Jesus and love Him. To have this kind of cycle of faith, obedience, and repentance in your life. And God will be pleased to use you in ways that you don't expect. And so, none of us in this room are, are washed up and, and useless in the kingdom. So don't let all the ways that you see that God hasn't yet completed you hold you back from stepping into obedience the things that God has called you to obey today and the things that He wants to do today. Because here's the greatest miracle about Acts 9, guys, is that Jesus is with us. And, and, and I just close with this. I mean, do you, do you actually believe that Jesus is with us? And, and if you did believe that Jesus is with us, how does that affect how we walk and live and, 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 and move out of this place today? The fact that that great promise that He gives us is that He's with us. And He shows us these evidences every single day of our lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that uh, You have sent Jesus to come and dwell among us and redeem us. And that He's now seated at Your right hand. But because we need Him so much, You sent His Spirit to be with us today. Father, we all need to remember that this morning. We all need to hear that just so deeply today because we are prone to forget it. We are prone to forget that you are actually interested in the everyday, ordinary things of our life and not just the highlight reel. We are prone to forget that you want to use us. We are prone to forget that it's okay not to be okay because Jesus is perfect. We are prone to forget that you have given us your church, your people, to comfort us, to love us, to be with us, to grieve with us, to lament with us, to share deep life with us. We're prone to forget all these things. And yet we pray to one who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ask, think, or imagine. That's who we pray to right now. And so... Jesus, meet us this morning. Meet us. Pierce us. Change us. In Jesus' name, amen.